0: From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And here we go again. Another ride on the Cannabis Podcast. Welcome back. If this is your first time, well, I hope you're going to enjoy the ride as well. We're going to spend eh, the next 30, 40 minutes or so talking about all things cannabis, a plant that I absolutely loved and I suspect you might have an affection for as well. Today, some interesting stories for you. We have a great interview. This interview is with, a boy, are these guys enthusiastic about what they're doing. Taser Ray and Ryan Murray. They're going to tell you about Cannabis Defender in today's conversation. We're going to do a quick cultivar corner, and by that I mean we take the one at Quick Gummies for a test ride. I have a story about a big bust in BC that shows in some ways we haven't come all that far in the past three years. And we're going to finish with some pancakes for the parents. All of that and more on episode 70 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we get started, a couple of shout outs to some frequent listeners. To Jay from Ontario, been a frequent listener for a long time. Thanks for contacting me, Jay. And also JS from Quebec. In fact, JS talked about some Kush cookies which I have sampled and I think is going to be coming up on a Cultivar Corner sometime soon. So thanks for the contact as well, JS. And yes, I did like the Kush Cookies. I also want to tell you about an interesting experience we had with checking ID in the store. Of course, any cannabis store in the country, depending on what province you're in, has to check for IDs in BC. You require two pieces of ID and that person must be at least 19 years of age. So we're going to ask if you do not appear to be anywhere close to that age, especially if you come into the store and you're wearing some pajama pants (laughs) and you're already giving an indication that you might not be old enough. Well, it's not going to get easier. And this one particular time, I was in the back watching the cameras. It had been going on for a long time. So I went out onto the floor to see what was taking so long. (laughs) And here's the way the conversation was going. And it was very circular. It basically involved about two questions and and no answer and it was like this in order to be in the store i need to see two pieces of id but but my friend was here earlier that's all well and good your friend may well have been here before and i assume we asked him for id but how is that relevant to you needing to give us id but but my friend was here before <laughs> I'm serious. This is the circle we went around and around until finally I, I had just had enough and said, I'm sorry, if you can't produce any ID for me now, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. And he, and he turned around <laughs> kind of in a little bit of a huff and said, well, I probably won't be back to this store then. <laughs> well, well, good luck with the line about, well, my friend was here earlier. That should suffice for my ID. <laughs> you never know what you're going to run into in a cannabis store. Taser Ray has had a very interesting and diverse career. I'll let him fill in the details for you. But our conversation today is about his eureka moment. When he took his expertise and turned it to the cannabis world, he found a way to activate dormant programs in the cannabis plant genome, creating all kinds of possibilities. His partner in the venture, Ryan Murray, is an award-winning grower who loves everything about the cannabis plant. The code Taser cracked has resulted in Cannabis Defender. And today, a first on the Cannabis Podcast, a dual interview, as I talk to both Taser Ray and Ryan Murray. We pick up the conversation when I ask Taser to give me some background.
1: I spent about the last 35 years as a researcher, and I began that in wildlife research, where we were chasing grizzly bears and caribou around in the mountains. Um, And that had actually one noble thing I used to do, was bring 25 to 30 pounds of grizzly poop down the mountain. That must have been... (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Yeah, I know. But anyway, life got better. I got into uh, water quality research and uh, technical sciences, and that got me into working with uh, different kinds of resource extraction people and um, where I was looking after the maintenance of watersheds. But it also got me into learning a lot more about uh, the micro world at the same time. And then that morphed into um, doing naturopathic studies, and I spent some time at that and working out of a clinic out in Saskatoon, and that got me into a lot more deeper understanding of how the human biome works and immune systems work. And and then I got the opportunity to go to Hawaii to manage a a wild, or a reach what do you call it, a retreat facility. And while I was down there, um, that's what really got me going because that was my eureka moment yeah. where basically uh, one day a chiropractor friend of mine, David, came by to visit. He wanted to look into what I had been doing all my life and uh, some of my accomplishments I've done in, in um, creating new solutions for the human uh, health challenges. Yeah. Anyway, David and I are sitting at the table uh, on the deck looking out on the jungle and David looks at me and says, have you ever thought about making a mosquito repellent? And I said, no, sounds interesting. And that set me on a path basically over the last 11 years of creating some interesting things. Because what I learned at that time was this ancient tech that allowed me to communicate not just with the human biome at the cellular level, but also with plants and animals, I guess, with these organisms. Okay. So that's sort of where I'm at. I mean, what I learned how to do was even more crazy was communicating with the fungi kingdom and now the cannabis plants as a host community, how to get them to be optimized. Because what happened back in 2015 when I came back to Canada, uh, people had seen what I'd been able to do in the coffee industry and whatever else I was doing. And one person asked me at that time, could you come up with something to stop the spider mite from attacking cannabis plants? (laughs) I said, I don't know. I'll look into it. So I did, and I found a couple of really good research articles, one out of the Netherlands and one out of Germany, and they showed that the cannabis plant had the ability to protect itself with a couple of these uh, fungi that are housed within it. They're called symbiotic fungi, they actually live on the plant. Here's a big name, endopathogenic fungi, which means they attack bugs. And so these are actually already resident in the plant. And what I learned how to do is activate that part. Here's what happens. This is what's kind of interesting. So this is on the on the on the, on the for the spider mites. Um when a spider mite comes in to bite a plant, okay, goes to the underside of the plant, takes out some sap. Well, what has happened once this uh, cannabis defender has been introduced to the plant, it gives these instructions to the plant to do a host of things. So one of them is to release these spores into the leaf tissues. So when the spider mite bites into the plant, it takes in some of the sap. These, these specialized spores go into the spider mite. You've got to remember, the spider mite is really small. And it starts to consume the spider mite, takes out uh, useful minerals, transports them back to the plant, the spider mites basically suck dry, falls off the plant, over, done, game over.
0: Wow. <laughs> Pretty cool. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, very, very cool. And and, and that's uh, that's why we're having this discussion today. So I want to bring Ryan in uh, to the conversation. Yeah. Ryan, give me a sense yeah, of, of your background and, and what what brought you to this moment.
2: Well, I grew up in a farming family and uh, pursued an education in botany and uh I don't know I just have a passion for plants okay um, as my brother turned 21 years old he got sick with testicular cancer and uh, the only thing that really saw us get through that or helped him get through that is was the use of cannabis and sort of from that that day forward I took a passion in this plant and and the medicinal aspects of how it truly genuinely helps people and a million different fashions we can we can talk ailments specific ailments we can talk general ailments and my passion continued to grow um throughout that time i i was a a master grower for a few different companies um one out of saskatchewan two out of edmonton just continued to drive an an, and interest in this plant being um basically medically driven and yeah so I, I became a breeder, became a breeder yeah. and throughout my time've I've won seven awards uh, of those awards. There's three strains that I bred myself. And yeah, it's oh, very cool. It's probably one of the most beautiful plants on the face of the planet, and it's a really <laughs> enjoyable plant to grow. Hey. An enjoyable plant to use, <laughs> that too, <laughs> that too.
0: Exactly, and and that was going to be one of my questions. Was you know, do, is your interest in, in the cannabis just botanical, or do you have some personal interest? And you both kind of answered that question there, so that's that's cool. So just to give everybody a sense of of where we're at and what we're talking about, I was originally approached by Taser's brother Kurt to talk about what's happening with this. And, and and this is some of the information I was given. The growing summit uh, 2021 is gonna be virtual this year. And these guys are gonna be presenting at it. They had their document reviewed. It went through, got accepted. So the summit is uh, actually the 26th through the 28th. Right. You guys are on the 27th, I believe. Yep. And you're one of four chosen out of the many that applied. And what they're presenting is a, a presentation called Cannabis 3.0, Cracking the Code. For genetic upgrading, which increases yield, develops natural resistance to environmental threats, all done naturally. Now, you gave us, you, you kind of gave us a tease there, Taser, as, as you, you went into your description. And you can, you can hear the passion in both of your voices about, about what you're covering and, and your passion for the plant. But let, let's take it back to the sense. So what is Cannabis Defender? What does it do and will it do for the average person growing cannabis?
1: Okay, well, I'll give a little bit of science, and I'll let Ryan talk about what goes on in the, the grow. Sure. Um, so what is Cannabis Defender? Uh, it's really optimizing the environment for the cannabis plant to grow. What I've been able to do, like I was saying, is our, our product isn't so much, it's not a fertilizer. That's what some people say, because that's all they really know. It's actually a communication tool. What I learned how to do was put communication directives into the organism at the cellular level to get them to do stuff, because this isn't my first rodeo. I've actually created some other interesting things, even the ability for the human um, being to absorb sunlight and convert it directly to uh, to energy. This is still pretty, this is really cutting edge stuff.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: You know, there's nobody has done anything like what I've done. I've, like I said, I've got the last 11 years to show all these different things that I've been able to create that are along the same line, work from that foundation of the mosquito pod that I created then. That it's communication and it's getting plants to open up um, in the genome. This is what the genome would call cracking the code because there's programs within the genome that aren't switched on. Here's, here's like a, little bit of, a little bit of information. Some people just don't know, and I didn't know this until a while ago. Like People have heard about the human uh, mapping the human genome, okay, the DNA, and they say that there's, I don't know, say roughly 80% of it's junk, 80, 85. They, they call it junk DNA, which people understand that now is that that's not really true. It's just the stuff that hasn't been switched on. Well, here's one thing that a lot of people don't even have a clue about: Plants also supposedly have junk DNA. Did you know that?
0: No, I had no idea, no.
1: <laughs> I had no idea either. <laughs> so I thought, this is pretty remarkable. So, it's, so, so the things that I've been doing was accessing the genome, and there's things in there that are, can be switched on. So this is what I found out how to do with plants also. So it had these natural protection abilities within it to be switched on. It also had a natural ability, this is another thing we, Ryan can can, can can talk about, is I found another way to switch on the ability for the plant to absorb green light. Basically, it, it can absorb the middle band of the visible spectrum, and you change the chloroplast, it, it actually restructures itself, and it absorbs more light. That's also something that has never been done before. So this is like pretty cutting edge
0: shit, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it sure is. <laughs> so
1: anyway, okay, well, well, Ryan, maybe you could talk a little bit about what you've experienced with the plants with regards to that when it's got extra energy, it's got bigger families it's got a all that stuff
2: that go ahead. Well, I guess first and foremost, the lab results told me it produced a better product. Um, when we did a side by one of the first side by side runs, um, We increased a a CBD strain that contained about 9 to 10% THC and about 8% CBD to about 14, 15% THC to 12, 13% CBD. So, right there, just in that initial test, it showed that we got better results in the outcome flower. As far as our weight, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, we increased the weight of, of, on the, the same was so it was a, a, a good run. Yeah. Um, as far as the garden is concerned, um, it I took an overgrown garden to create really, really healthy plants. And in most cases, an overgrown garden, you get the opposite results. Okay. Plants start fighting for light, plants start fighting for space. And oh. these plants just happen to, they all got along. They all got a lot happier and healthier. Nice. Uh, the families, the size of the, the initial family almost doubled in size. Um, anytime families get bigger, that just means that they're able to absorb more energy and absorb more light. Um, so it was really good results. I also had a little case of um, thrips within that first trial run. And by the time I transferred over to flowering, there was no thrips left. They garden. had basically said that we're not happy in this environment, and they disappeared, so I know Chasey likes to say he they ate them, but uh <laughs> they definitely vanished and they they went and found a, a new environment to a new host plant and and yeah, my garden wasn't there, so it was it was a good
1: first run. well one thing you' tell them about also is you' what you've noticed with giving them extra
2: light now um, um that wasn't before. Well, as as I've continued to use the product over the last year and a half, two years, I guess now, um, I've had zero bugs, zero, any, absolutely no problems within my tent. Um, And I've actually been able to increase my tent in the max flowering phase between weeks three and seven to over 80,000 lumens and on a traditional Flowering stage that late, probably looking at about 70, 65, 70,000 lumens. So I've, I've increased the amount of light and actually generated um, zero deficiencies. The plants aren't by any means stressed out because of it. Um, and in most cases, something like that would cause some bleaching, um, some sort of discolorations, and, and funny. Things that you don't really want to see, enough not, you're not grow at that stage, anyways. So, the the plants really do seem to like this product, and yeah, makes makes gardening it makes gardening fun and easy.
0: Now, no one of the things that was that was in the documentation, uh, the you sent me Taser, was talking about the fact that you're using these dormant or inactive genome programs to kind of tater different profiles of THC and CBD. Can can you give us a sense of of how you're turning on those various things to achieve that?
2: Uh,
1: not without you signing an NDA. Ah, <laughs> uh, see see I
0: knew there was I knew that was going to come at some point. <laughs> and I appreciate that. No no I totally get that.
1: Um but basically the as I was saying earlier uh, what I've learned how to do was to basically get things turned on. Like I said it's a communication tool. It's kind of like I stumbled across, uh, what's it called? The, uh, something stone they use in languages. Um,
0: the Rosetta stone,
1: the Rosetta stone. Yeah. yeah for the, the fungi kingdom. Anyway, being able to communicate certain directives to them that are of benefit to everybody within that community. Cause this is the thing that you, I think people sometimes forget. Yeah. They're looking at the cannabis plant as a plant, but it's not just a plant. It's just like us. It's a host. It's a host for a community of organisms that need to get along well, right? So you have to take a look at a holistic way. Like, well, every time you're you're throwing things onto the plant, you're basically throwing it onto a community.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, true enough.
1: You better you better think a little bit about what you're doing so to make sure that the whole community is benefiting or else... And that's the thing. When you're doing things that benefit the whole community, well, guess what? It all flourishes. And that's what you can see. And so... That's, that's what that's have been able to figure out anyway
0: yeah absolutely and and do you see this being something that's going to be uh, very very useful to to growers like myself and in, in the home environment oh, yeah.
1: yeah well as as Ryan has said a, a while back you know it can make a, a home grower into a master grower pretty quickly because there's a lot less things that have to be uh, um what do you call it Ryan like you there's less time you have less maintenance. That you have to do uh,
2: yeah less less worry of introduction to problems okay um i I've, I've always been a believer that a healthy plant and a strong plant can withstand the environment we they take a look at a plant outside um they don't get the beautiful cover of a greenhouse and they don't but but they can withstand bugs and problems and issues if it's a, if it's a healthy strong plant. And what we do in contained growing or indoor growing is we don't introduce all of the other elements to, to we just we baby plants and nature. basically what we've what I think we've been able to establish is bringing nature indoors, creating a a system that works together and and doesn't doesn't have any issues and, and, um, I noticed just stronger, generally healthier, happier plants. And when we, when we have healthier plants, we have healthier yields. We have less issues, um, from a, from an LP world and a massive production standard. Um, a product like this can drop down the amount of IPM problems, the amount of biologicals that I would need to be introduced into a garden of that size uh and and generally just create a better program of an indoor growth so it it really is a neat product
1: on the root structure uh becomes well looks very much like mycelia from uh, fungus they really extend into the whole if you're in a bucket of some kind, three gallon or five gallon it, it it becomes i don't know it kind of fills it up it it really maximizes its
2: ability to absorb, right Brian? Yeah, very much. I've, I I have root bound plants in every stage of my growth. I have to transplant on a fairly regular stage just because of it. I do grow indoors as well and uh, to space things. but i I've, I've never had an issue with any root problems, diseases or anything with once I started using this, this product. I actually end up using more fertilizer. Because right. the plants Food. are driving for every aspect, every every little bit of available nutrients, it's taking, it's using, and it, it's generating energy from it. Um, so, so again, with with more inputs, we get better results.
1: We we jokingly say uh, when the plants are starting to get into full production, don't walk by them with a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be gone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In reference to the fact that they are eating everything. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very cool. Don't cut yourself while you're around them. So you're presenting at the, at the virtual summit. I'm pretty excited about that.
2: Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, it's, it's great because it's being able to share this cutting edge stuff with a lot of people that just don't know about it. I mean, it it sounds a little sci-fi, but the thing is I've been working with this, for quite a while. I mean, my first crack at it was with the coffee industry down in Hawaii, where they asked me then to uh, come up with a way to um, stop this coffee berry borer beetle from um, attacking the uh, the coffee tree, or I guess actually the coffee bean. And when I looked at it, it sort of looked at the same thing like in a holistic way. Well, why is this happening, you know? And currently, as you know, with a lot of agriculture, they throw a lot of pesticides around. But with this, it wasn't really very effective because once the beetle goes inside the cherry of the coffee, she's home free. But what I did find out is that she needed two particular alcohols that, in order for her to reproduce herself. So I got the tree to stop giving her the alcohol, and she basically either died of the cherry or flew away. Ah. We, we had uh, coffee farms go from like 85% uh, infestation to just virtually zero within you know three weeks to a month. It's
0: pretty amazing. Pretty darn amazing. I was fascinated when when your brother sent the information to me and, and I read the your, your presentation overview and thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we had cannabis plants that can eat bugs? And, and in essence, uh, I, I know as to, as Ryan intimated, they're not actually necessarily eating the buds, but they are certainly uh, taking care of them for you. Very fascinating stuff, guys.
1: Well, it's not – this is the thing. It's not a, an – it's not
0: what do you call it. It's
1: it's a natural process.
0: Yeah, you're just reactivating it.
1: Yeah, it's, if you look into the fungal kingdom, I mean, fungus attacking bugs isn't, isn't uh, like out of the ordinary. I mean, that's but but once again, it this this is a process that helps the whole community, remember, everybody benefits within the community, so it's a good thing to do, and it uses very little energy. And the other thing is. If you take care of the problem when it's just a one mite, game over, done, no reproduction, right?
0: Yeah, 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 very yeah. cool, excellent. Well, well, good luck with the presentation. Good luck with the with the cannabis. Cannabis Defender is the name of the product.
1: Yeah, Cannabis Defender, we're on um, our our Fat Beaver site, fat, fat Beaver dot com. That's where you can find out more about us. Okay, and that's where I we're kind of like having a bit of a sort of a Galen. Or no, General, General, General Ray's War on Bugs. He's got a. It's actually quite funny. We have got a bit of a military theme to it. It's, you know, we want to make it a little bit humorous and fun to be part of, because it's really a movement. We have a, we say that we We're our movement is to have one million bug-eating canvas plants. You know, uh, <laughs> out there eating all these bugs.
0: <laughs> That's an enviable goal.
1: Well yeah we want cannabis patriots we want people <laughs> like we want people that love the cannabis and are, are true blue cannabis <laughs> lovers right
0: yeah. well, like you you're, you're preaching to the right crowd most of the people who are listening to the cannabis podcast are of that opinion of cannabis so so, so you're definitely preaching to the right crowd guys. so let me hit you with my hot seat questions and, okay. and, and you, can, you can both take your turn at, at answering them so uh, a favorite cultivar.
1: Okay, for mine, uh, I don't really have a favorite, though one of Ryan's uh, black and blue I have some fond memories of. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) And
2: Ryan? Um, Oh, that's a tough one from uh, Breathing Spide. I definitely old school. I've got. Probably my Cali Mist is uh, one of my favorites. Nice. Um, the uh, traditional Acapulco Gold. Uh-huh. Uh, those are two really nice sativa dominant strains that I I really prefer. Um, my Black and Blue Kush, which I bred and has a second place uh, Indica Award. Uh-huh. Um, it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, it's very, very velvet it tastes and <laughs> smells just like fresh blueberries and has a really really nice appeal to it so oh, come on you float, you're, you're, come on you float on clouds <laughs> those, those are a couple of mine but i I have a really long list and I, I bet you continue do continue to name genetics as, as, as the ones that do. I like. And oh.
0: since you raised it Ryan uh, let me give you the opportunity to, to give the other two uh, prize winners that you had
2: the other prize winners that I have is a string called Davy Jones. Um, it took a Sativa, t- a Sativa award. And uh, another one that I really enjoyed is I've done some work with a, a pineapple chunk. And that pineapple chunk has a really, really nice tropical floral flower smell behind it. It uh, almost tastes like pineapples um, and has a really, really nice uplifting energetic high. Oh, very nice. A lot of the strains that I like to work with are sativa dominant. Okay. I'm not a huge couch lock guy. Okay. Yep. I like to get out and get doing things, and, and that's where I really choose the sativa line.
0: Oh, very cool. Okay, so next question, uh, flower or vape? Or I mean, sorry, uh, joints or vape?
2: Joints or vape? Uh, I'm a pipe guy, water pipe guy. Okay. Um, I, I guess I'd have to fall into the joint category, but I'm definitely more of a blunt
0: person i enjoy a nice wrap of a leaf yeah yeah paper we just heard we got a new blunt coming to the market next week or or so so we'll check that out okay a favorite munchie oh wow uh cheesies Uh, <laughs> have you ever spent any time in Arizona? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, why The reason I asked that is my brother and, and a number of other people have and and that's the, they love to take their Hawkins cheesies down to Arizona with them because you can't buy them there apparently. That's right. <laughs> only in Canada. yeah a bit of a sidebar sorry. <laughs> so your favorite brunchie, Ryan Um probably nachos
2: really? I uh, really nice. enjoy a nice plate of nachos
0: okay. Uh, edibles or flour
2: uh, kind of both but
1: definitely brownies I mean I used to make I used to make brownies actually we had to, uh, a little sidebar here when I was down in Hawaii we were sometimes selling stuff at the farmers' market and I would make these chocolate chip special cookies I'd was like the regular ones and then the special ones right
0: <laughs> of course
1: and, but what was funny is uh when people come to buy them um I'd say, well, these ones are, you know, whatever, and these ones are the special ones, right? And he said, well, I want the special ones. He said, well, how much are the special ones? I said, well, same price, one's a buck or something. He said, why is it the same price? I said, because it's a cookie. Enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: They they loved it. I remember it was so funny
1: because I always thought I was going to charge more, but I didn't because I wanted people to enjoy them, you know? It wasn't
0: about the money. Yeah, that's true. And, and now uh, the next question I have is is uh, kind of a, a localized question. Ryan, you're in Saskatchewan, are you? Uh,
2: I'm just outside of Edmonton.
0: Okay. Just, and uh, uh, Taser, you're in B.C.? Yep. Okay. Uh, what do you call three and a half grams? I'll let Ryan answer that one. <laughs> A blunt. <laughs> um, okay. that, that, that's the best answer I've heard to that question, Ryan.
2: <laughs> okay, well, I well, actually, that would be an eight, but I okay. like to use that for a blunt. <laughs> okay, well, you know what I call it? What? Not enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another very creative answer to that. Yeah, perfect. All right, gentlemen. Well, well, thanks very much for all the information on uh, Cannabis Defender. You're obviously pretty excited and, and passionate about what you do. We will leave it there, and you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You too. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon.
0: All right. Take all care. Right. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to corner. Go to corner. Oh, yeah. Go to corner. Please explain this stuff to me. We've talked about them a number of times over the course of the last couple of episodes, and it's time to actually put them to the test. So we're doing that right now. I'm talking about Quick, And the quick part of it is the fact that they're keeping the THC at Delta 9, wrapping it in these lovely little wrappers that make it more available to our bodies. In other words, making it water soluble. And that means we can absorb it in, they say, 15 minutes. We'll see. (laughs) They have three different types. They have pineapple, coconut, orange, peach, strawberry, lime. Strawberry lime is a one-to-one CBD and THC. The orange peach is their sativa version. And I love the way they phrase it. They say, want a quick orchard peach gummies ripe with juicy peach flavor and infused with 10 milligrams of sativa-enhanced THC distillate per pack. Well, it's actually the pineapple coconut indica that I have in front of me. (laughs) A want a quick pineapple coconut gummies a tropical treat infused with 10 milligrams of indica-enhanced TAC distillate per pack. And what do they mean by that indica or sativa enhanced? It means that they have added botanical terpenes based on the ratios that they determined occurred in certain sativas and in certain indicas. And that's how they come up with a ratio for their pineapple coconut indica. Five milligrams per piece. Now, uh, to give some context. I had originally given these a try at one at a time. I tried one, waited 15 minutes, got a bit of a buzz and then decided to try the other one. But you know what? We are going the opposite direction today because I already know that I have a fairly high tolerance. So I'm popping them both and you're along for the ride. Now, obviously, I'm not going to sit here for the next 15 minutes and and chat at you. (laughs) So I'm going to consume both of these and the interesting thing is as well from one's perspective they of course have their sour gummies which are more the traditional go through the liver turn into 11 hydroxy thc Uh, and those are square shaped these are i think rather appropriately delta nine shaped they're little triangles because the thc remains at delta nine their whole idea is they're going to give you a smoker's high but through an edible and in about 15 minutes so I'm going to give these a chew, I'm mean just... there you go, mm. good flavor, now made with pectin, and again up to 30 additional terpenes, botanical terpenes, and I am a believer that a terpene is a terpene is a terpene, it's the terpene molecule that makes it that terpene. And whether it's from a fruit or cannabis, it's the same terpene. So that first one tastes pretty good. Mm -hmm. So just consumed a total of 10 milligrams of THC. Now I start my stopwatch and we start counting. And I am going to be a good boy (laughs) and I'm not going to smoke a joint in the interp. I will literally wait until at least a 15-minute mark. And if I start to feel anything, I'll pick up the recorder and we'll see where we go from there. But that's where we are right now. And here we are, 15 minutes later. I was hoping I was going to say, Wow, I am just blasted. But alas... <laughs> What is it with me and edibles? I was really hoping that these were going to give me a bit of a... And and I feel much the same as I did after I took one. There's a bit of a buzz there. It's not like it didn't impact me at all. But it sure didn't get me stoned. Maybe I'll give the sativa ones a try and do all of them. (laughs) I'm a persistent bugger anyways. (laughs) And unfortunately, that's... That's what I had to report with the one of uh, quick gummies. Now, if if it miraculously evolves into something deeper, I'll throw the recorder back on and update this. But as it stands right now, this wasn't the Delta 9 solution in an edible that I was hoping for. <laughs> And we are thankful to Mugglehead Magazine, Mugglehead.com, for the next story. And this is the reference that I made at the beginning about we haven't come all that far in the last three years. Salmon Arm RCMP sees 1,600 cannabis plants from an unlicensed grow. The Salmon Arm RCMP executed a search warrant under the Cannabis Act in Sorrento, B.C. on Tuesday at an unlicensed cannabis growing operation, said a B.C. RCMP spokesperson. Two men were arrested and released for court in the near future, E-Division Senior Media Relations Officer Sergeant Janelle Shoed tells Mugglehead in an email. Confirmation of the enforcement comes amid reports of increased police presence in the region and rumors in the community that a number of warrants against growers are incoming. Police seized over 1,600 cannabis plants and Canadian currency, Shoed says. I'm not aware of any planned enforcement in the upcoming days, she said. However, as you know, we may not be notified in advance of such enforcement taking place. And what this reminds you of is way back when, just over three years ago when cannabis was still not legal and this was happening all the time. And the problem that I have with a story like this, and and there was a lot of talk on Reddit before this bust actually happened. And the problem I have is that many of these growers obviously the, this is where the the black market is still getting a lot of their supply is from all of these unlicensed grows that have nowhere to send their product other than to the black market but if we made the avenue from the illicit market into the legal market easier and, and allow these growers to come into the legal world and sell this weed to the rest of us we wouldn't have to have these stupid these stupid bust for cannabis plants it just infuriates me. It truly does just infuriate me. So keep your eye on that one. We'll, we'll see if that story develops into anything more than that. And I want to leave you today with uh, another story, actually probably very close to the same time frame as uh, the one about my, when I talked about my wife having to go to emergency with the giggles. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the same time frame because we were living in the same place. I, I I, can envision the kitchen of where we were living. <laughs> I have also made reference to the fact that back in those days, and this would have been in the mid-70s, I guess, weed in the Kootenays was pretty well homegrown, and it was mostly leaf. It, it, it didn't have time to get to bud uh, in an outdoor grove just simply because there wasn't enough time before the, the snow came. So there was a lot of, and, and I'm sure that, you know, we got high on it, so it wasn't like it didn't have any value. But it was a lot of leaf. And so we ended up, when you would get a harvest and, and you, you'd bring a bit of weed home, you would often kind of chew it up in the in the blender. <laughs> I know today that just sounds horrid, but that's what we did. And I had this one particular friend who I had to grow out by the, the ferry, I think up by, by Balfour. And I had gone and I picked up, I can't remember how much, Came back and we decided we needed to process it in order to put it away because the leaves would dry out if we didn't do anything with it. So we processed it in the blender and ended up with a number of jars of of weed all ready to roll, kind of you know, kind of like tobacco, ready to go in <laughs> here. Are jars of weed, and it was I guess we had done this one afternoon and, and that evening my parents came over to spend the night and, and have a visit, and I never thought about it. Never thought about it at all, because, you know, we back in those days, again, cannabis was not legal, so we did not be up front, although my parents knew that I smoked pot. <laughs> back when I got busted as a juvenile, that might have been their first indication. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. I had forgotten that they were coming home when I was processing <laughs> this weed in the afternoon, and I didn't clean out the blender. Relevant because the next morning, when my parents got up and I turned on the oven, threw some bacon in, and thought, "Well, I'm making some pancakes and bacon," and proceeded to whip up my pancake mix in the blender, which had a significant amount of cannabis residue in it. <laughs> and to this day, I will never forget where where the breakfast is being served. My dad, who was kind of a picky eater and, and, and always let us know how he felt about something that was wrong at dinner or at breakfast or whatever the meal was. There we were. I'd served the bacon, I think made some eggs as well, threw the pancakes on, maple syrup was on the table. And my dad turns to me and said, Gary, what's all the, all the green dots in, in the pancakes? <laughs> I wish I could say that I came up with a really witty reply that, that immediately suspended that, but I was frankly so, so blown away that I had forgotten about the fact that I'd done a bunch of cannabis in the blender before making the pancakes. I think I just met him with a dumb stare and da <laughs> And I don't think he ever ate any of my pancakes again. <laughs> so remember... If you do ever process any cannabis in any of your kitchen utensils and you are having some visitors over that you don't want to know about your cannabis consumption, you should probably clean it. If there is ever anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast you'd like to comment on, please do so to info at CannabisPodcast.com. Same thing, if you ever have a suggestion for someone who should be interviewed, I'd love to hear about it. And you can always find the links to anything that gets talked about on The Cannabis Podcast back at CannabisPodcast.com. Newly refreshed so it shouldn't take so long to load and easier access to all the various episodes. That wraps it up for Episode 70 of The Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was The Cannabis Podcast.